All right, grab your Bibles, open up once again to the book of Hebrews chapter 2. Last Sunday, we uh, began a new series entitled, Who, What, and Why We Are. And I want to spend just a a few weeks reminding ourselves of those things. And, And the purpose is so that we do not drift away from what God has called us to be Uh, and to do as a church. And I decided I wanted to start the series by just talking about a few things I'm calling the pillars of the church, those foundational truths uh, that we must always keep in mind. And even though these are central, uh, biblically central to what it means to to, uh, be a Christian and and to be a church, they, they seem to be easy to forget and neglect and therefore easy for people, for churches to drift away from. Especially, I think, in our, in our current uh, consumer mentality, me-centered uh, culture. Uh, unfortunately, that's seeped into the church. And, and so many times the church is viewed as something that is, for me, something that I'm supposed to get out of. Uh, you know, it's supposed to be about what I can get out of it. And, and therefore, you know, I, I look around for the church that's going to offer the best for me. Um, and uh, even though it is true that we, we should uh, get something out of church every time we, we come, hopefully uh, you'll see that as we go through this series that it's, it's a wrong way of thinking to, to try to uh, look at churches simply from that consumer point of view. Uh, the fact is, each of us, every single person sitting there, you are an important member of the body of Christ, and therefore you're called to be an active part of the church and, and all that the church does. Uh, we're not here just to sit and receive, but to be part of what Jesus Christ has called us to do. And so um, that's what, where we're heading today. The first pillar that we looked at last week, of course, was that reminder that the church is not a building or an organization or even a service. Rather, the church is people. The church is, is you. You are the church. And therefore, church can and does happen any place and any time where believers gather together because you are the church. So if you're together with, with other believers, guess what? You're still the church. Um, and you can be the church uh, uh, all the time. So every time you're gathering together with other believers, you're the church. doesn't mean you have to do churchy stuff. Okay, doesn't mean every time you get you see another Christian, you got to whip out a Bible study or do this type of thing. Um, it's about being who God has called us to be, and not just sixty minutes on a Sunday morning, but every day, uh, all day long. And so that means you get together with some uh, brothers and sisters in Christ for some pie and coffee. Guess what? That's the church gathering right there. You are the church, and. and uh, and we should be the church while we're doing those things. And hopefully that will become clear as we go through this series what exactly that means. So our theme verse for this is Hebrews chapter 2 verse 1 says, For this reason we must pay closer, much closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. That's our theme. Father God, we thank you that you have given us your word, your word which keeps us grounded, your word which gives us direction. And so, Father, we pray that today, again, you would be our teacher, you would speak to us and encourage us um, in 
uh, our walk and our faith with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so most of you probably have heard uh, along the lines, right, to be effective, every business, every organization has to have a, a vision, mission statement, right? Those, those things establish why you even exist and what it is you'll be doing, right? That's, that, that's what a mission statement's all about. So, for example, there's a, a growing company out there. Some of you may have heard of it. It's called Honest Tea. Here's their mission statement. Uh, it says, to create and promote Great tasting, healthy, organic beverages. Okay? Pretty clear mission statement, right? That tells you right there what the company is all about, what it is they're doing. And if you don't want to be part of making great tasting organic beverages, well, then you probably shouldn't join their company, right? Because uh, that's what they're doing. Uh, that's the way a vision and mission statement is supposed to work. Someone who doesn't know anything about you uh, can, from your mission statement, know why it is that you exist and, and basically what it is you're about, what, what, what you're doing. Uh, some companies haven't seemed to have figured that out. I was looking at different mission statements just f- for this illustration. I came across this one. Uh, and, and I'll read it to you, and I'm going to pause every time they have a period in it, uh, just so you know how it looks here. It goes like this. Question assumptions. Think deeply. Iterate as a lifestyle. Details, details. Design is everywhere. Integrity. Anybody have any idea what that company is? What they're doing? What they're about? What's going on? I mean, I read that statement several times and I didn't have a clue. And I was looking at their website. It's, a, it's for a company called Envision App. And so doing a little bit, bit more reading, I found out that they provide prototyping software for web and mobile application designers. Whatever. They should have just said that in their mission statement, right? Anybody here ever heard of a company called Warby Parker? You guys have? Warby Parker? I'd never heard of them. But even if you had no idea, if you'd never heard of them, from their mission statement, you know exactly what they're doing. Right? Here's what it says. Quote, To offer designer eyewear at a revolutionary price while leading the way for socially conscious businesses. Okay? So, no pun intended, but it's pretty clear Exactly what they're doing. Okay, a little pun. You know, get eye, eyewear clear. Uh, never mind. Okay. Yeah, that's what I was afraid. Okay. So, question for you. Who gets to set the vision and the mission statement for a company or a group or an organization? Right? Typically, it would be the founder, right, or the head of that group. I mean, whoever gets the thing started or whoever is in charge, they get to say what it's all about, what, what the purpose is, what you're going to be doing, right? If you, if you were organizing uh, uh, and, and leading uh, a company, it makes sense that you get to be the one who says what it's doing. So let's say you're working really hard to start an organization to uh, help battle childhood obesity, you would not want Colonel Sanders setting your mission statement, right? 
you want to do it yourself, and, and you want to do it yourself because then you can make sure that everyone who joins you is on the same page with you, committed to doing what it is that you want to be done within your organization. And, and that mission statement then helps guide all the, the choices you make and the decisions on what things you will, what activities you'll be doing and, and what you won't. So, for instance, you're, you're getting your, your childhood obesity or uh, fighting childhood obesity organization started and, and Colonel Sanders wants to join your organization and we say, okay, and then he starts handing out free uh, coupons for a free all-you-can-eat buffet at Kentucky Fried Chicken, you, you would be able to say, no, 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 that does not fit our mission statement. It is not our vision of what we're about and we're doing, right? That's how vision and mission statements work. So we know that Jesus is both the founder and the head of the church. And even though it's been nearly 2,000 years since the inception of the church, we know exactly what Jesus wants us to do because he clearly laid it out in a vision, mission statement for us. So you were in Hebrews. We're actually going to be spending the rest of the day in Matthew chapter 28. If you want to turn there in your Bible and be able to follow along, Matthew chapter 28 tells us what this vision mission statement is. And and while you're finding it, I'll just kind of bring you briefly up to date where we're at. Uh, Jesus, at this point, has been betrayed, arrested, condemned, and crucified. And even though he had, had spoken about that, predicted that, told his disciples beforehand that all of that would happen, the disciples were shocked when it did. Um, kind of the way we get sometimes in life. And, and you see, they, they had been growing in excitement in their relationship with Jesus Christ because they realized and believed wholeheartedly that he truly was this this promised coming Messiah. And in their minds, that meant the man who would save their nation. See, right up until the end here, they, they, they held on to this wrong view of who the Messiah would be. They thought that he was going to be someone who would save the Jewish nation from Roman uh, rule and, and set them up as, as the the head country in the world. And they didn't understand at this point yet that that the mission of Jesus was to be here uh, not to save an earthly kingdom, but to save us all from our sins. Which, Which is exactly why he had to be betrayed, condemned, and crucified. So that he could pay the penalty for the sin, that penalty of death that each and every one of us owed and so all that happened and and they had these high hopes these great expectations of who jesus was going to be man he's going to lead us on a white stallion against the romans and we're going to be free and 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 then they're just crushed absolutely crushed because their leader has been crucified but then three days later Jesus rose from the dead. Now, it was some faithful women led by Mary Magdalene who 
first saw Jesus after the resurrection. Uh, the 11 disciples, they didn't get to see Jesus first because they were all cowering in a locked room hiding for fear of the authorities, right? It, it, it was these, these courageous female disciples who, who saw him first. And, and they weren't expecting to see Jesus alive. It's not like they were out looking for him. Uh, they were taking spices to put on his dead body. So, so this was a surprise to them as well. But Jesus was raised and, and we're told that he found them and he spoke to them. It says, Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee and there they will see me. Right? He, he, was, he was crucified. He was buried in Jerusalem. But he was going to be going back to his home stomping grounds, a region, an area of Galilee, to meet his disciples there. And that's not uh, the first time that Jesus had given them instructions of what to do after his, his crucifixion and, and resurrection. Even before he had ever been arrested, um, when it was getting close to this happening, in, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's talking to the eleven there. And he said to them, Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me on this night, for it is written, I will strike down the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. Right? So, so they'd heard that. This is, they'd known that. Now, we know a little later on that day that Jesus was raised and he, he met the, the women there that Jesus did appear to all of the disciples except for Thomas uh, while they were hiding away in a locked room. And, and when they had seen him there, uh, you know, they, they weren't sure about believing the women, but when they saw Jesus face to face, they were convinced. Man, they knew he had been raised. It, it was this miracle. They, it, was, it was beyond belief, but he was standing there, so they believed it. And then uh, Thomas, um, a week later, he appeared again. And Thomas was with him this time. And, and uh, Thomas gets the bum rap for, for being a doubting Thomas. But remember, all the disciples were doubting until Jesus appeared to them. And, and so now he appears to all of them again. And Thomas is there. And Thomas' response when he sees Jesus is he said to him, My Lord and my God. Right? He knew exactly who Jesus was. No mere man. This was God in human flesh. And, and, and Thomas rightfully identified him as such. And so the 11 disciples, man, they were fully convinced. Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. And, and this is who he was. And somewhere along this time, Jesus must have reiterated his, his command for them to go to Galilee and meet him there and given them the exact time and location uh, of where to meet. It, it's a week-long journey from Jerusalem to Galilee, uh, at least back then when you're on foot and, and this type of thing. And, and so, uh, presumably, the disciples uh, took off very quickly after that and, and went to, to meet him where he had designated. We, we read in Matthew, uh, but the 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had designated. So, th so they went to the spot uh, uh, where they were supposed to meet Jesus. Um, we have no idea where Jesus was during that week time, uh, uh, or at least a week, um, where he had set up this time in this meeting. But now he was waiting for them on the mountain where he told them he would be. And the disciples did exactly what you would expect them to do when they saw Jesus again like this. It says, when they saw him, they 
worshipped him. But some were doubtful. Now, worship, right, is the only right response, the only appropriate response for what Jesus Christ had done. He had, he had died for their sins. He had come back to life after three days in the grave, proving his divine origin. He was, in fact, God. He is worthy of our praise, worthy of all our worship. But the text also says that some were doubtful. Now, now, maybe you're thinking, oh, wait a minute. I, I thought the 11 disciples were already fully convinced. I mean, he saw them in the room. It says they were convinced. Thomas is even saying, oh, my Lord and my God, this is who he is, right? Uh, um, who is it then that was doubtful? Um, to answer that question, we need to understand that there were way more people at this meeting than just the 11 disciples. The 11 are talked about because that was Jesus' uh, leadership group and so that's, that's who's being addressed. But there were way more people than that. When the women uh, encountered the angels at the empty tomb uh, as, as they were going to look for Jesus to put spices on his body, here's what the angel told them. He says, Go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee, and there you will see him. Behold, I have told you so. Right? That, that makes it pretty clear there that, that, that as disciples, these women were also supposed to be in Galilee to meet Jesus, right? Because he says, the, the angel says, there you, you will see him. Not they, as in go tell the disciples and they will see him. You. So, so it was for them as disciples as well. And it seems very likely that this call and this meeting was for all the disciples, everybody who had followed Jesus and committed themselves to following Jesus and being him. All, all true disciples were there. In, in, in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul goes kind of through a list of all the people who had seen Jesus after he was raised. He's, he's convincing them, giving them proofs because the people over in Corinth, they didn't know anything about what was going on in Jerusalem and all these things. And so he's giving them this list of proofs of, of those who had seen Jesus Christ raised from the dead. And after he talks about the 11 uh, seeing him in Jerusalem in that upper room, then he says after that he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time. Okay? Well, most Bible scholars agree that that event is the same as this meeting on the mountain. All the disciples were called. We know it was the 11. We know it was also those women. And it just uh, fitting in the chronology. This was Jesus giving his instructions to his followers, to his people, uh, before he was going to ascend back up into heaven. And, and, um, and so uh, he was talking to all these people. And so chances are it was some of those who were the... But there were still some who were doubtful, right? Because many of them had not yet seen Jesus. And now he's up on the mountain and they're like, you know, it's a big crowd, 500, and some of them at the back is like, could it be? Is that really Jesus? I mean, nobody can come back from the dead, can they? And, and they're seeing that. And so there was some of that doubting there until they could either get close enough to see Jesus or, I think, until they heard his voice, right? And then they hear his voice, and at that point they say, man, 
that is Jesus. And I would guess that they fell down and, and worshipped as well, joined, joined in that worship. So um, here's then what Jesus said to them as he's speaking to this group of disciples. And Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Okay, So he's, he's first uh, establishing the fact that he has the right, the authority, the power to set the mission and vision statement, right? I'm the leader. I'm, I'm the founder of this group. And as you can see, I'm in charge. In charge even over life and death. All authority. Heaven and earth. Everywhere. It's been given to me. So now I'm going to set the mission and the vision for the church. And remember uh, what we learned last week, the church. The, the, these are followers of Christ, right? That's, that's the first big church meeting happening right there on that mountain. That is the church. This is what we as the church are supposed to do and it's been carried on and passed down from, for the true church ever since that time. And this is what every local church gathering today should be all about, right? And here's what he said. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you and lo, I am with you always even to the end of of the age. That's, that's his mission statement right there. And if you look at it closely, he, he really has two basic points or parts to that mission statement, two different things uh, that we should be doing as a church, two aspects that film two, uh, form two more pillars uh, of the church and, and what we should be doing, foundational truths. But before we look at those two pillars, I want to take a, just a quick look at the very first command, which is the go therefore, right? That's how it starts. Go therefore. Almost always, these verses are read whenever a missionary is being commissioned to some distant country, right? Or, or, or when a pastor is trying to encourage people to invest themselves in taking the gospel to some distant land. And they'll say, yeah, remember the Bible says, go therefore. And so you should be heading out to these distant places. And I don't want to burst any missionary bubbles here or anything like that. But, but getting people to go a long ways away was really not what the thrust of this verse is. In fact, that word go, go therefore, it can actually be better translated as having gone. That, that's, that's the way Jesus said it, having gone. Uh, you know, no doubt, um, I mean, those, those guys were enjoying an absolutely thrilling moment. They're on the mountainside, right? I mean, here you went from, from these despairing, hopeless, crushed, depressed spirits. Our leader has been crucified to seeing Jesus alive and well, conquered death, standing with you outside the grave up on this mountainside. I mean, what a great experience. And the, and this, the worship there had to be just tremendous and, and exciting and, and, and just filling your heart. And, and, and they would want to stay there forever, right? They would want to have that moment last forever. But to stay on the mountainside worshiping Jesus was not the plan. So basically Jesus says, hey, once this moment is over, once, once we're done here, ha uh, uh, once you leave the mountain, having gone, go therefore, having gone, here's what I want you to do. Having gone where? 
having gone back home, back to their own villages and, and their own towns, back to work, back to their families. But beyond that, that statement has no limits, right? It basically means wherever you have gone, right? Wherever you may go in this life, having gone wherever, here is the mission. Everyone in this room has gone. Right now you've gone to hot springs. But we're not supposed to let our village or towns or jobs stop us from going even further. You may go other places as well. But right now, here in Hot Springs, or wherever you may go, here is the mission. This is what the church, meaning you, God's people, this is what we are called to do. Two basic commands. The first one found in verse 19. And it says, make disciples. Right? Go there forever and make, here's what you're charged to do, make disciples. In other words, we are called to reach people for Jesus Christ. Now, unfortunately, in our, in, in our current culture here, especially in America, uh, there's many people that seem to think that there's a difference between becoming a Christian and being a disciple, as if you could be one but not the other. But, but there's no distinction like that anywhere in the Bible. Jesus didn't command for people to go out and make converts and then hopefully get as many of them as you could to then become disciples. It's both. It's, it's both and. It's, it's what you are. Anybody and everybody who follows Jesus Christ is called a disciple. To be a disciple means you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, for salvation. So that's why like when the Apostle Paul was out on his missionary journeys, we would read things like this. After they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. Right? The, uh, the, the phrase that city is referring to Derby. And as far as we can tell... Now, from the timelines, Paul only spent a few weeks in the city uh, of Derby, and he, it says he was there preaching the gospel, and as people responded to the gospel, they made disciples. That's what they are. They hadn't had time for these people to mature or go through some extended study or, or be part of some training program, right? Uh, they were brand new baby Christians, but they were called disciples. Okay, I, just, I know there's confusion in our culture about that, and we just need to understand. A disciple is a Christian. A Christian is a disciple. And that's what we're called to do. Go make disciples. Bring people to Jesus Christ. Wherever we are, that's a pillar of the church. Drawing people to Christ. It's a foundational truth of who we are. I mean, that's why we, we have it written uh, on our core values, our gospel sharing. I mean, that is part of what we do, who we are all the time. It's, it's the words that Jesus Christ has called us to live by. And, and so in the way we live, the way you do your job, the way you work, the way you interact, the way you love other people, you're on mission. You're, you're part of His company, his organization. 
And this is what we're about. You don't go to your job just to make a paycheck. You go to your job because you're on mission. And you want people to see and to know that Jesus Christ has made a difference in your life. That's how you live every day. And then after, after people come to Christ, after they're converted, after they become a disciple, Jesus had another command for us. Us, of course, being the church. And that second command is found in verse 20 where it's told what we are to do then with these converts, right? And these disciples, it says, teaching them. Okay? But it's not just teaching them a bunch of uh, biblical facts, a certain system of theology, a program of spiritual knowledge, this type of thing. Unfortunately, I think, especially here in America, again, so much of what's called discipleship, that's what it is, right? Just a study program. And if you get through books one, two, and three, and you've learned these facts, boy, you got discipled, you know, or this type of thing. And it's this knowledge-based instruction. But, but look carefully at what Jesus specifically said there about our mission in this part of it. He said, teaching them, them, of course, being the new disciples, to observe all that I commanded you. That means true discipleship, if you want to disciple someone, it's about helping another believer take the next step in obedience in their life. Right? That's what disciple is, helping them to become obedient. To observe, that's what to observe, right, means. To observe his command means to do them. That, that's what we're helping one another uh, do. We're not teaching just for knowledge. We're teaching for life change. And, and please don't mix that up with the idea of just behavior modification, right? Uh, giving people a big long list of do's and don'ts and that type of thing. That's not, not what he was talking about there. We're talking about transformation of the life from the inside out. And only Jesus Christ can transform that person from the inside out. But, but uh, that happens best and most as we are cooperating with Christ and we can teach others how to do that. So yeah, I- increasing in, in Bible knowledge, you know, that, that's certainly a part of it. I mean, how do we know what God wants unless we've, we've heard it and learned it, that type of thing? But much uh, of the way we learn and hear things is not in formal classes or group studies, right? Have you ever heard the saying that truth, more truth is caught than taught? Right? It's the most powerful way of teaching. In other words, we learn something best by seeing it lived out in someone else. And, and therefore, true discipleship, helping that, that other person to grow in their walk and their faith with Christ, it's a relational thing. It, it happens when we do life together. That's one of the reasons I'm such a big fan uh, of the small groups uh, because... Uh, uh, you build that type of relationship and it's hard to build a relationship in a situation like this. But in a small group where you can talk and interact and, and learn about each other and help each other with things going on, that's, that's discipleship. So these, these two pillars of the church, reaching people for Christ and, and teaching them, that can happen 
through you know, specific programs or, or activities or plans in the church. But, but the best and most effective way is when they happen as a normal, everyday part of our life. Like having pie and coffee together. And when you do those things, you're called to be the church, to be on mission. There might be some in your pie and coffee group who do not know Jesus Christ. Do they see Jesus in the way you live and act and talk and interact with them? Building one another up, right? Encouraging each other to walk in obedience and faithfulness. It's, It's not something we do when we come through the church door on Sunday, the building door here on Sunday. It's who we are. We're on mission. So if you see a brother or sister of Christ who's discouraged, who's down, who's erring, who's drifting, who's whatever, how do you be the church for them? You encourage them. You build them up. That's our mission. That's who we are. That's why we exist. 24-7. It's what we're about. Let's pray. Father God, we, we thank you that Jesus clearly identified the purpose, the plans, the direction, the reason for church. And help us to remember, church is not a service, not a Sunday morning thing, not an organization. It's us. It's what you've called us to be about. So God, we pray that we would be faithful in living, in working, in playing. We'd be faithful to be on mission. We pray this in your name. Amen.